Welcome to the Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of therandyreport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community and its allies. With Pride Month 2021 in the rearview mirror, I look back and see the huge amount of support the LGBTQ community receives in many ways, but especially in how countless businesses and corporations swap out social media banners for rainbow stripes, create Pride merchandise, and add gay and lesbian couples to advertisements. And I think that's all great. It's worth noting that a survey by Harris Interactive found approximately two-thirds of LGBTQ adults, or roughly 66%, would be very, or somewhat likely, to remain loyal to a company or brand they believe to be supportive of the LGBTQ community, even when less supportive competitors offered lower prices or greater convenience. But some folks have recently noted how this ends up being a once-a-year, one-month campaign for companies, and it doesn't really add up to long-lasting allyship. This is what has come to be called pinkwashing. That said, I should point out that I do get lots and lots of pitches to feature Pride merchandise from companies, and only a small amount of the companies do I give space on my blog. Two I can think of off the top of my head are Ogden's own, a liquor company in Utah which produces Five Husbands Vodka, which highlights LGBTQ leaders in the state, and Bomba Socks, which has a whole rainbow pride line of socks and t-shirts and underwear. In my research, I found both companies not only do this great work during Pride Month, but all year long, so I was happy to feature them on the Randy Report during Pride Month. That said... I came across a report on the website Popular Information that looked at a data set based on two annual lists compiled by the Human Rights Campaign. One, the Corporate Equality Index, and the other, the Human Rights Campaign's Congressional Scorecard. Now, the Equality Index ranks more than a thousand companies according to their policies for LGBTQ employees and their public advocacy for LGBTQ causes. On their congressional scorecard, the Human Rights Campaign gave 228 members of Congress the worst possible score, a zero. All of those voted to confirm anti-gay members of the Trump cabinet, voted to deny health care to transgender troops, and wouldn't sponsor or co-sponsor any legislation in support of LGBTQ rights. After comparing those two lists, the reporters at Popular Information found several corporations had received a perfect score on the 2018 Corporate Equality Index and had donated about a million dollars or more in the last election cycle to politicians who received a zero on the Congressional Scorecard. Just a few of those include AT&T, which donated $2.7 million to 193 anti-gay politicians. UPS donated $2.3 million to 159 anti-gay politicians. And Comcast donated $2.1 million to 154 anti-gay politicians. But... Does that mean we launch into boycotts and refuse to buy their products? Is there some gray area here, or something we should be acknowledging? For instance, one of those companies, Pfizer, acknowledged its political donations, telling Forbes, quote, 
The decision to contribute to these elected officials was made based on their support of the biopharmaceutical industry and policies that protect innovation incentives and patients' access to medicines and vaccines. In no way does our support translate into an endorsement of their position on any social issue. In other words, it gets complicated, and I knew I needed someone much more savvy on the subject than me to think this through. So today, I'm talking to my super smart friend, Aaron Baldwin. Aaron is a recognized LGBTQ activist who has led campaigns against LGBTQ workplace discrimination involving large corporations including Cirque du Soleil, Target, and Rockstar Energy Drinks. He's also been an advocate for affordable access to HIV medications, marriage equality, and environmental justice. He's taken a significant role in the HIV-AIDS movement, confronting HIV discrimination in the workplace, serving on the National Board of the AIDS Drug Assistance Program, also known as ADAP, and starting the first HIV-positive financial planning practice in America. He's also helped launch the first firm to offer life insurance to the positive community and served as the expert witness in the landmark HIV prevention discrimination case, GLAD v. Mutual of Omaha. Additionally, he's worked as the administrator of San Francisco's HIV-AIDS provider network and in recent years has been working to raise awareness of LGBTQ-related environmental issues resulting from climate change. Today, Aaron is affiliated with Pride 365, which works with businesses to bring an end to pinkwashing and to improve inclusivity in society and the workplace. Every business or organization that publicly commits to improvement towards inclusive practice and authentic support with Pride 365 is definitely a step in the right direction. Pride 365 takes a holistic view of a business. Often, the unsung heroes are the ones fighting for fairness and inclusion on the inside. Being certified by Pride 365 shines a light on the work being undertaken by human resources and then turns that light around so that it becomes a beacon that the LGBTQ community can see and know that you're supporting a company that's deserving of our loyalty and our dollars. But it's a whole lot easier if I let Aaron explain how and why all of that is important. Aaron Baldwin, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Awesome. I basically want to talk about, because I've seen the, the articles that, that you've shared, and I've been seeing others about pinkwashing and the companies that do show support, but sometimes it's only for a month. Right. And believe me, I heard the outcry, and I was kind of surprised at LinkedIn, which, of course, is a platform that I've always considered for business purposes and not for social issues. But I took the liberty to share because I felt like, well, wait a minute. The corporations have taken on pride and it's all over LinkedIn. Why not take, use this platform for this month as an opportunity to educate because of the corporations, you know, that have rainbow logos? What do their employees really know about pride? What do they really know about the community? And I saw it as an opportunity where other people were ready to ride in the streets. My comments to them was, hey, listen, that horse is out of the barn. I said, and I think you run the risk 
of potentially alienating our allies in the process. So why not take something that appears to be a negative and use it as a medium for education purposes? And so that's what I did with mine. And I actually wound up curating an entire um, you did you know, kind of month-long thing. Well, I had an objective, and the objective was, one, I wanted people to see that pride is a global thing. There are prides all over the world. You know, a lot of people out there believe that this is just a Western society type of situation and that it is not. So give them pride facts, give them pride history, talk about leaders, writers, and painters and stuff, things that perhaps people might not be interested in, but make it flow along in a way, kind of like what I used to do on Facebook, um, as an opportunity. And it got really tremendous. Um, as I mentioned to you this morning in my text, I got numbers, you know, in LinkedIn that frankly, I never thought were even um, imaginable. So people were tuned in and it did become a platform of an opportunity to try to educate people about pride, not just allow corporations to kind of co-op pride. One thing that I want to say that I agree with you a lot on, well, I agree with you basically on everything, um, I'm not stupid, <laughs> is that, for instance, we talk about this outcry, and, and people, like with New York City Pride, there was this thing about they wanted to have their separate pride and the, the corporatization of pride and all of this. I understand to a degree how people feel like the idea of having corporations being involved in Pride kind of pulls away from the original intent of the the protest and the rebellion and the fight for rights and everything. But I've seen you say this on social media and on LinkedIn and everything that, you know, these are pluses that they are on our side, yeah. even if it's to some yeah. degree, if it, even if it's not that I'm good with them making money, too if they're also being a part of, of our progress too. So it doesn't bother me. And like one of the things that got me is I know they banned gay police officers from marching the New York City Pride Parade because they felt that that would be threatening to people of color and marginalized communities within the LGBTQ community that were marching. In my head though, I have to tell you, the way I, I read that, I'm like... So do you think a police officer marching in uniform in the New York City Pride Parade is going to pull out their nightstick and start beating someone in the middle of parade? I just didn't see that banning openly gay police officers from the New York City Pride Parade helps us all that much. It feels like we're kind of alienating the people that would be helping us the most from the inside. And I know that's something you're involved in a lot because I know you work with Pride 365, which is a movement of like getting people on the inside, employees in companies helping right. to improve things and learning what the policies are. So it's from the inside often that a lot of progress happens. Now, I'll shut up and let you talk because you're the smart one. What are your thoughts about that? We can have the conversation about the flag and adding you know, additional stripes to the yes. flag. You know, initially for myself, understanding and knowing Gilbert, how that flag came to be, the flag was, in his mind, to include everybody, which was why it was a rainbow. I agree However, completely. Yeah, I mean, it, the, it was inclusive already. Yeah. But over time, I did understand that the flag representation, because it was kind of like HRC at the beginning, where not everybody felt included at HRC. A lot had to be done for that movement. 
Um, so I did begin to even did a lot of research on it and kind of do things that Gilbert would not have been upset about the flag being, let's say, altered to make more people feel included with it. The conversation about police officers at Pride, I mean, we have a lot of LGBT officers, not to mention the fact that we do a lot of street activities. And I've worked for years with police officers at Folsom Street events and Door Alley and others where they are critical to the initiative and to the effort. So excluding seems like a broad stereotype to say all police officers can't be present. I think there is a way for them to be included, particularly those who are police officers serving in uniform with families who are there to show their pride. And so I'm not a big fan of stereotyping all police officers the same and excluding them altogether. Right. Also, you know, your comment about donations. Donations, is, to me, is kind of a tricky thing yeah. um, because corporate any individual who gives money to a political campaign has to disclose who their employer is. So those numbers often are reflective of donations that may have been made by employees, not necessarily the corporation itself. Mm-hmm. However, corporations do give. But a corporation, let's say, may find itself in a jurisdiction that the, you know, that the congressman in that area is not necessarily pro-gay, but there's things that, that a congressman is doing that is important to his district, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, so I think when you immediately, and this is why I always say, the boycott is not the first action, it's the last. You're missing the opportunity of educating that congressman and trying to mitigate and, you know, perhaps get them to change some of their votes by immediately taking a full frontal on the organization because of a donation that was made to an individual politician. A donation to a politician wasn't necessarily made because they were anti-gay. So I do think how we approach those situations, people need to think about that because what is the end goal? If you're hoping to change how that donor gives money, perhaps that donor who is giving money has leverage with that congressman that we do not as a community. And perhaps they could be part of changing that congressman's or congresswoman's position. I'm not really a big fan of things like no cops at Pride and, um, you know, let's nail every politician to the ground who happens to not be 100% pure because that's leaving you not a lot of opportunity to educate. And, you know, one of the things that happens with political donations, because when this – there's a website called Popular Information, and they kind of compare data from donations made to some politicians that are listed as anti-gay from the human rights campaign. And then the – companies like got a 100% score on the HRC's corporate rating system. And so some people are going, well, how could they be a 100 on the corporate rating thing, but they donate to this? And I know, for instance, Pfizer put out a statement saying, well, 
it's very hard to slice and dice every little thing we do, and we do want to support the LGBTQ community. But like for Pfizer, those donations to politicians were often in regard to helping support legislation that would benefit the pharmaceutical development of certain drugs that may be helping LGBTQ people also. So it kind of what you're saying is, you know, sometimes there's something through the back door or there's there's a sideways view of this that some people may not see that that there's more to it than just, oh, you're anti-gay or, oh, you're pro-gay and that's it, period, the end. There's a little more shades of gray to these things. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think that you look at an individual donation or perhaps several donations to a member of Congress and immediately assume that those donations were met because of their position on LGBT. Like I said, there is an opportunity. There is an opportunity to delve in and dig deeper and meet with the corporation. I have some experience in this. <laughs> I had some strong actions with Target and Wells Fargo years ago because of their donations from the corporation that were supporting the personal agenda of the CEO. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a different situation because, you know, basically they were using the corporation's money to forward their own personal agenda. And I thought, You shouldn't be able to tap into the corporate treasury um, to further a personal agenda. So it's not all black and white um, out there. And and so to hang somebody who is an ally because of a donation that they made, let's say, could be to their congressman in their district who, you know, they need or feel is vital for, let's say, tax legislation or corporate um, mandates that, you know, are going through Congress at a given time, they, you know, they might not have even considered their voting record on that agenda. It's an opportunity, though, to begin that conversation with that ally, because nobody's going to be perfect. Perfection is not something that should be a goal. Especially in the world of social media now, things get boiled down to a, a one or two sentence statement on Twitter or something where people need things to be perfect or black and white. And I don't know, I, we're never going to really get to a completely black and white world anyway. And so we do have to consider all those shades of gray in there. If we hold out for the perfect constantly, there's nothing wrong with shooting for perfect, but we're, if we hold out for the perfect all the time, we may not ever get anywhere we want to go. Oh, absolutely. You know, but you, you brought up, you know, the HRC Corporate Equality Index. And, you know, I do think a number of individuals and activists out there have, people know how to game the index, yeah. so to speak, to check the boxes to get to that 100% to be able to tout it. It's time to go a little different. And that's why Pride 365 was very appealing to me, because that's all about really beginning to look into the company, not just their employee benefits, um, but taking a look at their marketing. Are we represented in their marketing? Taking a look at all sorts of various different aspects, but also saying that, you you know, we're going to put you on the scale. Um, We're going to look at you as a holistic company, and then we're going to allow for you to improve 
before you get your seal of approval. So, you know, the first year is that benchmark study that, you know, really looks into it. And then we're going to come back and tell you how we can improve this to make the, the whole organization inwardly and outwardly more LGBT friendly because we need to be sure <laughs> that those who we consider to be our allies are not just, all right, you know, um, let's add this benefit. You know, it might affect five people at the company. So, you know, I got my little calculator. I figure out the most is my cost says is X. So big deal, add it. And, you know, we've checked that box. Right Now we want to say is, is the community, when they look at your market, can they see themselves represented there? Mm-hmm. Because if you're not, um, I mean, to me, if you're 100% HRC, but I look at all your marketing and I don't see my community represented, are you really 100%? Right. If we're not yeah. seeing, you know, gay couples in advertising or lesbian couples right. or people of color, you know, are we really getting there? And I should mention with with Pride 365 certification, it's an annual thing. Even after you do the first year's analysis and then yeah. there's there's a list of things saying, well, we think you can improve here and here. But it's not something that you to get a stamp of approval and for 20 years. You can just say, hey, we're Pride 365 certified. Look for us. Um, it's an ongoing thing so that... They keep getting looked at. Correct. And that's really the important thing because, you know, as management changes, right. you know, the whole feel of the company can change. And, you know, I've seen this with my CEO who she does her own diversity and inclusion videos in her voice. That makes a big difference ah. because she is the voice of the company. And so by doing her own diversity and inclusion videos, She's setting the tone right. for the entire company. That's important. She came to Pride. Not only did she you know, come, come up and she introduced herself to me. Of course, I knew who she was because my boss reported to her at that point. And I'd seen photos of her. But I'd been at the company for, I think, three months at that time. But as I watched her throughout the course of the day, one, I was surprised. She marched. We were two hours late that year because of protests that were going on at San Francisco Pride. And she said, but where, what really got me emotional is she carried the company's banner. Oh, wow. Really? In the Pride Parade with other executives. Good for her. There was over a million people there. Nobody knew most likely who she was. But every employee that was there knew who she was. Mm-hmm. And to have her carrying our banner in leading us at Pride was something I had never witnessed before, you know, that a CEO, I mean, we had 10,000 employees and she's out there at Pride leading largely LGBT employees and allies in the Pride March. To me, that in itself speaks so loudly and it reinforces the corporation's position on that issue. And you know, it seems to me that that really is the goal. Behavior like that, participation, inclusion like that, at a pride, the CEO themselves participating really kind of is 
one of those goals of Pride is that, that, that not only do LGBTQ people themselves take part in Pride in, in just a personal expression of Pride in ourselves, but also that our allies are there with us and visible and not just waving and saying, hey, have a great Pride, guys. I'm going to go get in my car and drive home down and have some Chardonnay, but to actually get out and walk the walk and, and, and carry the banner. And that's really the point of a lot of Pride for me is that we, we show the world that things do change over 52 years now? For me, we have some friends in common from when I lived in Columbus and she lived in Columbus and started her career there. And uh, the conversation we had at Pride was about Mm. bringing your full authentic self to, um, to work. And so for me, I made the decision as the captain of, the co-captain of our AIDS life cycle team that I had to do AIDS life cycle as an HIV positive person, which means I was coming out once again right. to my employer now as an HIV positive employee as well as LGBT. And I did it because of my conversation with my CEO and being authentic and being yourself. To me, I would have never had plans right. you know, to do it so publicly, you know, as a part of the team. And I could have only done that if I felt comfortable in doing it. And then again, this is our evolution to acceptance and at work, a sense of belonging that you can be your authentic self at work and not have a fear of discrimination. Right. And editing yourself or thinking twice about how you, uh, share anything personally about your life or your, your home life or something? Absolutely. I'm from the generation where essentially we knew who other LGBT people were uh, at work because they also didn't have any photos on their desk. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Because, exactly. Uh, and, and maybe one or two that might most likely that photo came with the frame. Right. Right. But, you know, we did because they were conversation starters. So you didn't bring them because you didn't want to get into a conversation. And if you did, you didn't want to have to lie about, oh, you, you know, you, you're not bringing a picture of your sister and trying to play it off as your girlfriend. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is some people listening might think, younger people might not understand that they've never had to relate to that. Because if you're no. 20-something today... Um, the, the way you are encountering the world as an LGBTQ person is different than the way you and I did when we were younger, you know, in, in the 70s, 80s. It, as it's changed, though, it has, but there, that was behavior that was actually normal for folks like us, is, is you, you didn't have photos on your desk, or if you did, it was maybe, as you just said, like, one with your sister and, and you just didn't say, oh, that's my sister. If people yeah. want to believe that's my girlfriend, that's okay. And, right. um, and I know for some younger people, they may think, well, that doesn't really happen or it doesn't, whether it happens today as much or not, I don't think that's the point for me. What the point is that we, we understand that because there's still people our age, Aaron and Randy's age, that are in the workforce. And because we experienced that, even the fact that it registered with you when you had that conversation with your CEO, it registered in your mind that you were coming out as HIV positive. And there was was like a thousand calculations I know that happened in your head. Like, okay, if I say this out loud, 
A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Like someone's going to know something about me that I may not have said 10 years ago or something. And because that was something ingrained in our DNA. And so while things may be better now, people are still in the workforce that are in their, our age, that that's just ingrained in us. And it's, and while things get better, we also have to note that we have to, we have to help ourselves get better on it too. And take the step that you did, you know, your CEO opened the conversation and you stepped through that door and had it, which was a great thing. Or you opened the door for her. It was probably a two way door there, but that was a great thing. I mean, for myself, my first pride, there was probably about 35 people at, um, as well. You know, my first gay bar was a door in a brick wall yeah, with a buzzer outside. Mm-hmm. And they would open the door and look you over. They might say if you had gone cologne or if you had on sneakers or a rugby shirt, you couldn't get in. If you had a girl there with you, she couldn't come in. You know, mm-hmm. things like that, Yes. Things are significantly different. I had no case trade alliance on my high school campus. Right. Right. You know, Thank so you. Me, I, I, I'm in is, awe of that. It I think it's wonderful. These, <laughs> yeah, it is great to see these things, but it's not everybody's shared experience. Right. From that aspect, I'm in, I can imagine, I, for me, I couldn't even imagine a CEO coming to a pride, right. let alone participating in leading their employees. To me, it was really an emotional experience for me. I actually kind of walked away because I started to cry because I just could not believe that this was happening in my lifetime. Yep. Yep. Totally there with you. I, I totally get that. And so and I think that's why it's it's you mentioned the idea of shared experiences because sometimes when people, you know, it goes back to the idea of of pl- openly gay police officers marching in pride in New York City or something or banning them, you know, this black and white all or nothing kind of a thing. It's so difficult to parse those different shades of gray for some people. And, and some people will have their positions, some people have others, but it's, we're not all having the same shared experience, but we have to share our shared experiences. We have to share so that people understand where we're coming from and why we have the position that we do. And for Aaron and Randy, we may have uh, a different position on how we see things because maybe we're of a certain age, we're of a certain experience. And, you know, younger people, may have a different one or or uh you know uh, david drake the playwright and actor is is a really good friend of mine we worked together in the 90s back in the 90s with act up because of hiv and standing up for all of that there's a whole faction of the lgbtq community that took a stand of of a certain nature because of hiv and act up and because they felt they had to and some people would look at that and go again this was about shared experiences or not well I, I don't really see things that way. Well, I do. I have HIV, and I do see it this way. Well, I don't. Well, I do. Well, I don't. I do. And so it, that's that's where the communication has to come in, that we all kind of listen to each other and then eventually have conversations when the opportunity arises, like between you and your CEO. And right. then a step forward takes place. And that's just me talking out loud. But <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, it really comes down to, particularly on the police issue, is, you know, um, we are the victims. We're still significant, you know, particularly uh, trans women of color. Yes. Um, 
do they not want a police officer where, you know, let's say they're in a very precarious position? Right. And might a police officer stop and question whether or not they should get involved based on the fact that they've been excluded and written off mm-hmm. and stereotyped across the entire employee base? You know, the whole police are now not allowed. I think we need to be careful about painting with such a broad brush. And I would think this community more so than others, would understand how dangerous it is when you paint with a broad brush. Right. I agree make completely. make assumptions about people. Yes, there are. <laughs> but there are bad people in every industry out there. Right. You know, and we know it. But we're also, by making grand moves like that, you're cutting off the opportunity to improve the situation by saying, we're just excluding outright. And, you know, I grew up in Texas, and my best friend was a police officer for over 20 years. He's one of the good ones. And he and I have had conversations, and, you know, a lot of where improvement, especially with, like, for instance, police relations might happen is, is from the gay officers who are inside the force and may be able to raise, again, we're going back to the insider position, um, in businesses or in police or whatever, where those are the people who are most have most access to be able to even make a small comment or or somehow influence what they might see as anti-LGBTQ behavior or uh, policy or something. They're the ones that are going to be able to do this. But if we exclude them, if we just cut them out of everything, they may go to work and go, "Well, why should I say anything?" Because you know. I, I'm not being included, and it, it, it's it's that insider position that might give us the best leverage uh, to make incremental changes, in my opinion. I, I'm I with know, you. The broad brush is a bad thing. I know thing. FBI agents. I know secret out LGBT secret service agents, FBI, you know, intelligence services. We are everywhere as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know that they get really bristled when the communities. They all consider themselves law enforcement. So when you make grand statements, right. all law enforcement is, is listening. They hear it. That They hear that's me they're talking yep. about. Yes. Well, and do you really want to throw a pride parade with two million people and not have any police presence whatsoever? Right. Because mm-hmm. let's face it, there are other people out there who would also like the idea that there's no pre- police to protect these people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it, it, that would present a terrible opportunity. <laughs> but... <laughs> absolutely. I mean, you look at San Paulo, you're talking about five yes. million people. I mean, where else do you get events of that size? Maybe a Carnival, maybe Mardi Gras. But for the most part, there aren't bigger events than Pride. In many places, we should take the opportunity, though, to say, wow, look at where we've come. Isn't it pretty amazing? You know, the whole process that I had on LinkedIn actually taught me a lot about the community that I didn't know. Because look at the reaction you got. Yeah. And so good did come from the situation, as opposed to just trying to shut it down and perhaps alienating allies. I use it as an opportunity to educate not only myself, but others. Well, and you know how you educated me with it. First of all, all of the facts that you shared about prides around the world and everything was awesome. But 
in sharing that on LinkedIn, what you taught me, I have to admit, I have to get better at now is in sharing articles from the Randy Report and the podcast and just Mm -hmm. in sharing information in general, I didn't look at LinkedIn as a venue to do that. And now I do, seeing the reaction that you got. Yes. As a matter of fact, I was going to tag the Randy Report, but it's (laughs) not on LinkedIn. And what I would say to you, um, it is, you know, one of the things that make up your business and the Randy Report should be on LinkedIn. Yep. It's a business. And now that I see more and more people are using LinkedIn as more of a social media thing, it's business oriented, but I think it's great that the people that we do business with or have business relationships with get to see this side of us that's so important to us and, and integral to who we are and how, we, how public we are about our statements about LGBTQ positions and everything and how it affects our lives. But I really learned a lesson with this in the past month, watching you every day on LinkedIn, going, oh, I have missed the boat a little bit here on, on sharing things, because I would just think that's a Twitter thing or that's a, a Facebook thing. And it's really opened my eyes to how much we can do with LinkedIn. LinkedIn is full of potential advertisers for you. Yeah, I think that's yep. fantastic. I really do. Yep. Good for you. Good. <laughs> Brilliant. You taught me something. Win, what? win, t- win. <laughs> mm-hmm. Win, win, win. You're right. Yes. All right. Well, it was a pleasure sharing space and time and conversation with you today. And thanks for having me on. It had been far too long. I think 2016. So I think I'm it was. You know, the last time we spoke yeah. was we did because we spoke a lot during the 2016 election. And uh-huh. when the election happened in 2016, I think we took like a few weeks. And then finally, we, we chatted about how did this thing happen? And now here we are, fortunately, four and a half years later, and we've, we've all survived yeah. the great national nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it had been too long. So it's great to hear your voice, yeah. Aaron. And thank okay. you for sharing so much on LinkedIn because I follow everything, and I'm going to be following your example now. All right. Thank You're you. awesome. Have a great day. You too. Thanks again to Aaron Baldwin for sharing your insights and expertise into what pinkwashing is and isn't and how we should view these things as we go forward. I'll make sure to have a link to Pride365 and his profile on their website in the show notes. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you would share it with your friends. I like to think of the Randy Report as the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I cover the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. Thanks for listening, folks. Take care of yourselves, and I'll see you next time.